The weather is heating up, so I think that means that we're finally getting to the business end of the handball season. And today, the conclusion of the Women's European League, which we'll briefly talk about. And of course, we're heading into the second leg of the men's quarterfinals in the Champions League. So a lot to talk about. And I'm here joined by Chris O'Reilly and Alex Kulesh. Hello, boys. Hello, Brian. Hey, Brian. I thought when you mentioned the the weather heating up there, you're going to make uh, fun of my sunburn. <laughs> no, I was just waiting for you to bring it up, actually. So uh, <laughs> for all the listeners, uh, Chris looks very red at the moment. Uh, he's been ah, off gallivanting okay. around. The, I've, uh, I've had to turn the brightness down on my laptop. It's it's quite ironic. You know, I was in Copenhagen last weekend where Alex, Alex actually, we have to mention, Alex made his debut in European Gaelic football. Uh, <laughs> I got burned playing in that in like, whatever, 17 degrees weather. Then spent a couple of days in Malaga in the mid-20s, not schniff, nothing. Spent a few days in Vienna and Hungary, 29 degrees, nothing. And then this afternoon playing beach handball in 17 degrees again, this time in Gothenburg, burnt again. That's a dangerous temperature. It gets is, you way clearly. too comfortable. <laughs> I think it's the sweat of actually playing sport. Like you can put on as much sunscreen as you like, but it just disappears. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's all worth it for sporting endeavors. Right. So speaking about heat, uh, did you boys enjoy the uh, first first legs of the quarterfinals or which was oh. your favorite encounter? Well, <laughs> when it comes to heat, I mean, <laughs> Brian, you and I were in Vesprem <laughs> in the like, not hottest just in terms of atmosphere, but quite literally the hottest as ever, like, arena I've ever been in. It was nuts. I was yeah, so sweating through everything. So we found out after the game, and I didn't realize that. I just thought it was so hot because it was a hot day and the arena was packed. I've never seen so many people in the Vespa Marina. I mean, I, I, maybe it must be the seventh or eighth time I've been there now, but uh, I've never seen so many people standing up in random parts around the back on the on the second level of the arena. So I think they really maybe went above and beyond in terms of capacity for the for the match. But we found out afterwards that the AC wasn't even turned on or it was broken or something. Uh, so they really tried to uh, yeah, give the Scandinavians something they're not used to because we're talking to Yaya Omar after the game and he was saying, look, it's perfect for me. This is the way I grew up playing handball. So. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a great game. He had a great yeah, game. So great game. <laughs> obviously worked. But that was one thing that was obvious through all the games, actually, the packed arenas and the atmosphere at each game, which I, I loved. Um, I think the PSG um kill game was again on fire as well including plenty of flares to smoke things up we had yeah flensburg actually flensburg were the drunkest crowd of the four i think because you know there're just there's an extra level of rowdiness to that flensburg uh, crowd um against barcelona and then um, montpellier 
Um, that's always a fun one. They have the bands going, but it, it just felt like a real occasion. I think these quarterfinal games are really something special. And yeah, I, I won't bring it up again, but I, I'd love to see more of them, maybe in a three or five game series. But <laughs> we, <laughs> we'll leave that discussion for another time. So well, maybe back to the best frame game. And I think that was probably the most surprising result. Basically, let's just go through the results, shall we? Uh, for those who haven't haven't seen uh, or can't remember when they've started listening to this podcast, it was PSG Kiel was thirty thirty. That's all square. Flensburg Barca twenty nine thirty three. So Barca with a four goal lead. Montpellier Kielce 28-31 Kielce with a three goal lead and then Vesprem beat Alborg 36-29 so, so what happened in the game? So why was it Alborg not showing up or was it just Vesprem really dominating? To be honest I'm quite quite surprised myself because going into the game and talking to people in and around the fans and in and around the arena and people in, in the club they weren't really expecting a whole lot and they were kind of thinking that Alborg were somewhat favourites going into the game and that Vesprem kind of usually struggle against such Scandinavian teams often um, or Scandinavian style of teams and they themselves were had kind of didn't really weren't put much too much pressure on them on themselves and I was kind of really impressed with how they've seemed to come together over the whole season as you tweeted out Alex how this Vesprem team our team seemed to be to, to rise up to the big games for me just the backcourt that Vesprem have I think is a it's a very difficult puzzle to solve, I think, for uh, a defense. You have someone like Rasmus Lauga, I think, who actually had, I think he's really coming into his, his old stride again. And he was super pumped up for the game. He was really excellent in attack and defense and fist, uh, getting the crowd pumped up as well. So he's, I mean, hyper motivated again to, to do something big. And then you have him com- coming off and then you have Nanadic coming in. I mean, just a completely different uh, puzzle to solve. And I don't know how anyone ever solves that puzzle, but that's a, that's a nightmare from that, that, just that one position. And then, as we said, yeah, yeah, Omar had a great game. He just is looking incredible. And then Kenta Mahe as well in the, in the backcourt too. So it's a, it's a really, really tricky, uh, backcourt to deal with. And as we said in the talk with, yeah, yeah, that it's quite big personalities. You wouldn't naturally exactly put them together, but I think Mummer Illich has done a really, really good job this season. I think in, Comparison to other Vesprem coaches in the past, I think they, and I don't say that players that past Vesprem players weren't respecting their coaches, but I think they really, really respect Illich. And you can see that just when you're backstage as well, how they respond to me. He's like a, almost like a father figure for a lot of them. And he's most importantly like a father figure for a father figure for Nenadic. I think him being obviously the two Serbians and Illich being a, a Vesprem legend, I think he does actually listen to him. I think the problem with Nanadic in the past, he's not, he kind of does his own thing a lot of the time, but I think uh, Illich will really sort him out if he does something wrong. I do do have to mention that Nanadic moment um, in the part of the match I did watch where <laughs> it was incredible. Vesprem were on an amazing run. Nanadic broke through scored an unbelievable goal I think put Vesprem up three at the time it was a kind of they finally made the breakaway and he celebrated like crazy in the in the six meter line like in front of the goalkeeper celebrating like crazy while Alvar just sprinted up the other side and scored a goal exactly in his position as he's he's 
he kind of realized after celebrating that, oh, fuck, I've messed up and tried to make it back. But he only got to about the halfway line by the time of our score. And Illich was just like, fucking get back, get back. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, a, that was a classic uh, uh, moment and uh, another, a clear another, mystery to solve. Another one uh, where he banged in a goal, took, a, took the ball from like the halfway line, shot from about 10, 11 meters, fired it in, next attack, it goes straight up again and just like completely fucks it up. It like bounces the ball, dribbles into the hands of the goalkeeper. Just like one of these shots you'd expect from like a 16 year old who doesn't quite know the trajectory of their arm and ends up just throwing it really hard at the ground and bouncing into the keeper. Yeah, he offered a bit of everything, Peter Nanadic. It's funny what you said there about the Illich screaming at them to come back. And it was particularly in that second half where it, Every single goal was so, so important, uh, not just in terms of building the lead in the first leg, but that really seemed to be also the, the difference between the sides and the way they built their their goal scoring. And particularly in the second half, Vesprom just they, they scored with such ease and they do have amazing players in so many positions. Alborg, I think, made it easy for them as well. Like they didn't really match up to the Vesprom attack at any point in the game. Alborg, as they got into difficult positions, over and over again they found a way back. So twice in the first half they came back from four, uh, went in a three-goal run to bring him back into uh, into the game, came from three back again. You kind of felt like they can't do it over and over again for the entire game. It's just not feasible. And when Vesperm then broke free early in the second half, then uh Every goal for Alborg became so difficult and they kind of went a bit like route one uh, in that sense. They were relying on the players that like, yeah, we really need you, Felix Clark. We really need you, Lucas Sandel, to, to get the goals in. Aaron Palmerson wasn't really doing it. And yeah, that, that's the question, in. right? Yeah. Like, is, isn't that the moment why you, when you need Aaron Palmerson? Yeah. Isn't that the moment that you know, justifies the big salary or the big signing of yeah. someone like Aaron Palmerson. It's it's a time like this where you just need to go and it just didn't happen. No, he wasn't that guy for them uh, in the first leg. And yeah, they just found it really difficult to to break them down and, and full credit to the Vesperm defense as well. And, uh, you know, Corrales made a, a few good saves didn't have like an incredible percentage but like made some good saves at the right time but uh it was the big boys in the center of defense that they put it to Alborg and some players on the Danish side weren't up for the challenge do you think Palmerson suits this Alborg team has have we seen him being the man yet i think he suits them because he he's that uh, wild card or that X factor that every team needs where Alvor are a bit of a machine they play that fast Scandinavian handball every player knows their place and they need a player like Palmerson to step up and get him out, out of a rut he just hasn't really done that this season too much it's kind of what Alan Palmerson has been doing his whole career he's incredibly talented but he goes missing for large periods of a season over and over again like we could, but the thing is, we could just see him step up in the second leg and take over. That's possible, but yeah, I'm starting to question whether you know that happens less and less these days. Yeah, it, it comes down to that 
Aaron Palmerston mystery puzzle, which is which one is going to show up, and you just hope that the good one shows up more than the battle. Yeah, I mean, you have to also consider, like, remember at the Euro, he re-injured himself right right after coming back into the championship, and so I mean, you never know exactly what kind of physical shape the the players are in. Alborg went into it like Lucas Santel was supposed to be an injury doubt. He played the entire match. Henrik Molgar was supposed to be an injury doubt. He played the entire match in defense. So, um, yeah, it was, I think a lot of things didn't quite hit or come at the right time for Alborg. Seven goals is going to be really difficult. Uh, they're going to need a Vesper meltdown. I think, uh, yeah. that's the only way I can see them come back into this one, like seven goals this season. It feels like almost impossible to turn around. Yeah, as Yaya Omar said after the game to us, Chris, seven goals isn't six goals. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. It just seems that little extra bit harder. And trying to imagine Alborg then winning by eight is just like, uh, I can't imagine it somehow. Hmm. I don't know where they get it from. Funnily enough, I I see this one getting really tight in the second leg. I, I something tells me maybe it's just Veshbrem and it seems to happen to him all the time uh, this kind of comeback uh, but I just I've got some sort of gut feeling that this tie isn't over you know I think Olber have the ability to just break out into a lead quite early in the second leg and then it becomes a two goal game for 40 minutes and that's just a whole different story so Something tells me that this tie isn't over. So I'm, I feel it. I feel a tense end to the second leg. Well, I'm glad we've all our bases covered now. So we've got all the sound bites. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably the next the PSG Kiel game was probably the next the next most enthralling game. Would you agree? That was a great game. That was a. It could have been the best game of all. I kind of wish I was there. I will, we will be there, or I'll be there for the second leg. Uh, but that was, that was, yeah, it was kind of just everything you want to see when these two teams play each other. Yeah, it's, it's been like that for a couple of seasons now. It's becoming a bit of a classic. Mm. You know, there's a bit of a rivalry. I think the Sagasen move also added a li- little bit to that. There's just a real fire for both teams, um, which is great to see. And I think I just the crowd in, the arena was epic. The PSG ultras are just insane. Um, and we do have to mention that there was a tragic accident at the start, but I believe that the fan that fell from the stand um, onto a couple of cameramen, um, I think everyone is okay out of that. Uh, I believe one of the cameramen was the one that was the most injured out of that, but I believe everything is okay from that. It was a really fiery game. And what I what I think I liked most about it was that the star players all, uh, all really showed up for both teams. And like PSG, like Remy Lee, uh, Shipshack, Steins, the guys who've really been in form for them this season, uh, stepped up again. Uh, Salgerson had a great game and then Peckler as well for Kiel. So it was like, you weren't really left wondering, oh, what if, you know, what if this player was just in form today? You know, it was just both teams really had a, 
a good set of players play at a very good level and uh, ended up being a draw in the end. Uh, Kiel would be, I think, a bit, even though they'd be happy with the draw away from home uh, on paper, it seems like it was a bit of a wasted opportunity for them, particularly in that second half, like building those two, three goal leads and getting pegged back over and over again. Yeah, do you think he had changed things up a little bit too much? Um, because it was actually a real clash of styles because Kiel played maybe three or four different defenses. They went, they did some uh, man-marking with Luke Steins. They played a 3-2-1. They, in attack, they played seven on six. They played with two line players. They really switched it out throughout the game. PSG just did their same thing they always do, give it to Steins and make something happen at speed. And do you think all that changing around actually kind of hindered Kiel a little bit? Were they overthinking it? Oh, yeah. Jeez, I don't know, Chris. Do you have an answer for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's difficult to be too judgmental in that sense when it's, if you're looking at it from a 120-minute game rather than a 60-minute game. Uh, I think particularly away from home like that, if, you know, Yika was giving different looks and trying different things out, it might have also been with an eye towards what might work best in the second leg, whereas PSG, yes, they know exactly what they want to do. And uh, Kiel will also know exactly what they want to do in the second leg. Uh, whether that makes a difference in being able to stop them uh, is another question. They weren't able to consolidate their dominance. And for the whole game, it felt like they were the better team. They were almost always in the lead ends up being a draw. So in that sense, you have to feel like they something wasn't quite right for them in the end. But it's only halftime. Yeah, I mean, that's the feeling I had as well throughout the whole game, that I felt like Kiel were, felt a lot like, like, like the better team and that PSG were just keeping their heads above water to keep to keep up with them a lot of the time. And I think there's a few few factors that are interesting as well. I think I'm not really sure. I mean, we've talked about this a few times before. I'm not really sure the whole home and away thing matters a whole lot to this PSG team, but I think it did probably carry them a lot through that half because I mean the the atmosphere in the arena is, is really incredible, and I think probably I think Sagerson had a had a had a decent game. If he, if he has a decent game, Kiel can almost beat anybody. But it's a question if he's is he, is he going to do it again now uh, at home because I think a lot of their game relies a lot on that. That's a question I have. Do you think having home advantage in the second leg is important here? I feel like for Kiel in particular, Kiel are one of the few teams that really would prefer to play the second leg at home? I think I think it does matter. But we've seen with PSG, their performances are a bit wild anyway. I, as you said, Brian, it doesn't matter for PSG, but Kiel are generally stronger at home. You know, they're going to have their Bundesliga games and it just the advantage of staying within Germany and uh, being a bit closer to home is probably going to be big for them. A separate point here about Sagasin, just following up on what you said, Brian. I fully believe that Sagasin is going to have another fantastic game. And that is on the back of the German uh, Cup final, uh, which we didn't get a chance to talk about before. But Sagasin had one of the best performances in a final situation that I've seen him have. He dominated the semi final and the final, eight goals in each five assists in both games. He he really, it felt like they found a way to unlock him. Um, it, it, 
it kind of carried over to this leg, but I think he has an extra gear, which being at home might uh, help there. So I think for Sagasin, if being at home for him helps, then Kiel are going to be really happy about that and probably favorites in this tie. The other two games have both seen the away side take a fairly decent first leg lead back with them home. Barca four goals uh, against Flensburg and Kielce three goals against Montpellier. Which of these two games do you see there being some kind of chance for the away side, either Montpellier or Flensburg, to find a way back into it? Oh, God, I don't think I do at all. <laughs> do you, Alex? I hope you do. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think the only thing that I can think of is uh, Godfrey had a... He was completely shut down in that game against Barcelona. Actually, very similar to what we talked about in Kiel, uh, that Barcelona also switched up their defense, especially. They went with a 3-2-1, a 5-1, a 6-0 throughout the game, and they really that really flustered Gottfriedson. And especially what they did really well was that second wave fast break that Gottfriedson kind of feeds on, the, the latter stages of that fast break where he just finds a space and opens up the game. They sent that 3-2-1 defense on him in those transition points. And that really completely marginalized them. He only had three shots in the whole game, scored two goals. So they really shut him down. If Flanzer can figure out a way of unlocking him, maybe that can change the game um, a little bit. So that's the wild card that could um, bring Flanzer back into it. But Barcelona looked looked very impressive. Can they rely on Yusuf Benali scoring eight goals from eight shots again as their only line player? That's also a question. You know, they are missing Fabregas, who is um, their best defender, well, arguably their best defender with Petrus and a really core part of the attack. So there's a couple of question marks in that game uh, compared to the Kielsa Montpellier game. I, I can't find too many more question marks there. Yeah, with the Montpellier, I mean, also what really stood out to me about that one on the stat side of things was the goalkeeper battle. And Marin Shago had a really good game, particularly in the first half from Montpellier. Uh, ended up with 14 saves. And the Kielce goalkeepers combined just 10. Yet, it was still a... Well, I wouldn't say a comfortable victory. It was a victory for Kielce in the end. And, and to be fair, they were pushed. Like There was a couple of times where it looked like Montpellier would come back within one or two towards the end. And uh, Kielce just had maybe... One, one or two fortunate bounces and um, ended up with a three-goal victory. You have to... I, the history is kind of screaming out to me here uh, when it comes to Montpellier and Kielce, when it comes to French teams and Kielce, because French teams are, are like... Well, it's not PSG. have kind of been their kryptonite over the last couple of years. And last season... Nantes managed an away victory against Kielce, am I not mistaken? For the playoff round last season, first leg, Kielce won in uh, France by a single goal. Second leg, lost by three against Nantes at home. Back in 
was it 2017? Uh, there they lost both legs at home and away against Montpellier. So they're not completely home and dry, I think. This Kielsa team are probably the favorites at the moment on form to win the whole thing, but they, ha- they still have to get there. I think a big part in that 21 um, turnover by Nantes is that there was no fans in the arenas or uh, limited fans, I believe, in Poland. Uh, no fans in Nantes. I think Kielsa have been an absolutely unstoppable force at home in the Champions League this season. And I don't see that changing. Um, they're really, really impressive when they have the full arena behind them. And uh, they still look good, Kielsa. I think Montpellier really stepped up their level and it felt like there was something in it from Montpellier and, and they really had to win that game to have stand a chance of anything uh, in this tie. And it, it felt like they had it in them. Diego Simone had a really impressive game. It really felt like he wanted it. But in the end, it was Kielsa just scoring, scoring. Alex Dushabayev popping up at the right times after his kind of bit of a rest period. I think he's going to be fit. So uh, I'm really impressed by Kielsa. I think they have one leg in that final four. I'd say three, three of the teams have one leg in the final four. So I think we probably have three teams. I'd say two of the legs in the final four, actually. I, I'll, I'll put my neck out. And I think, I think <laughs> it's only it's only the Kiel PSG game that I think you could think uh, where we obviously don't know what's going to happen there. Um, if you could pick your four teams from your from your heart, not not your head, who would you pick at the, at the final fours? Who would you like to see? Because in my head, I'm like thinking we can't always be surprised. We've been surprised so many times in handball. Sometimes you're just not going to be surprised. And I think that's this round is going to be one of those rounds where it's just like we're going to we know the three teams already, and it's just it's just between PSG and Kiel now. Well, I think I said it to you after the first leg in Vesprem on Thursday. The prospect of Barca, Kielce, Vesprem, and either Kiel or PSG is really nice, and it. It goes back to like the Christmas in Cologne final four where we had the four top teams basically because they were the top four teams from the group phase. Uh, but it was, it was really entertaining in a very different way because there was no real outsider in this one. It was all the, like PSG were the outsider in that one, which says a lot, right? And I think in that case, at the moment, PSG also would be the outsider in this one. So if looking at it from that sense, like let's get the most chock-a-block, quality-laden quartet of teams, Kiel, Barca, Kielce. Would you agree with that, Alex? So you're saying Kiel. I, I, I want PSG. I, I really like PSG this season. Uh, I They just have something about them. They've figured it out. I just love watching Luke Stein, so I, I, <laughs> I'd like to see PSG in in that final four. But I agree with your point. Get the get the big boys all together. Let them fight it out. So I, I think Albor maybe you know let's let's they'll come back next year stronger. I think Veshprem. It it it'd just be really nice to see them going into this final four in a season where they had no expectations maybe that would carry through but yeah a Kielsa Barcelona final how good would that be how good would that be 
Going a long way there. What do you think? I've gone, I've gone all the way to the final. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a great semi-final. But uh, yeah, I don't really... I mean, it's very... I mean, on the one side, Kiel getting to the final four, you're going to have a lot of Kiel fans there. And it's definitely going to add to the whole atmosphere. Uh, and then on the other side, the PSG fans are just a little bit more unique than to, to the other other fan groups. I think PSG have added a lot more to the handball scene than I probably expected it originally. And I think they do, when you go to a game in Paris as well, especially, it's, it's incredible. Um, and their fans traveled to the final four in the past have always been quite, quite colorful and quite out there. So in terms of just pure neutral atmosphere, stuff like that, I think it's, there's, there's very little between them. And in terms of handballing. What about your heart? You asked, my, you asked us about our heart. What about I your did, heart? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I think I'd, I'd like to see, I think I'd like to see Keel there just for. What Alex touched on earlier, that Sagerson might be on this run at the moment where you, you might see something really, really special. Um, so I think having Sagerson there will be, will be uh, quite incredible, even though it will be amazing to see Luke Steins <laughs> in causing loads of trouble and getting manhandled by people. Like people get, get sicker and sicker of him as the, as the seasons go on. And I see Peckler in the last game just had enough of him and just randomly pushed him over <laughs> when he was just like, I've had enough of this. <laughs> I'm not listening to this, Luke. <laughs> a little nuisance. Oh, but would would it not be funny if uh, PSG finally won a Champions League while Mikkel Hansen is injured? Oh, that'd be sick. That'd be <laughs> that sick. would be heartbreaking. That'd be so heartbreaking. He'd be hobbling out. <laughs> oh, He'll take the penalties. Although oh, no. Chipchak uh, no. is the expert penalty taker these days, so I don't think there's a space for Hansen even on the penalty spot. Okay. Uh, I think, seeing as we still have... Only a couple of days until the second leg. We'll we'll leave it for now. Campo, you were watching the uh, European League conclusion this weekend, uh, the final of the EHF finals over in Viborg. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, um, it wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't much of a final in the end. So BD time one thirty one uh, twenty. So it was only about twenty five minutes or maybe twenty Guess minutes who? of. Uh, against sorry against Viborg yeah god I'm glad you're here Chris uh, <laughs> um, and it was maybe about 10 minutes of a real match and then uh, 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 BD Heim just completely took over and it's an old cliche of the seemingly they, they wanted it more but that really did look like that I mean I think Zena Smiths I think had one of the best games that I think I've ever seen her seen her play at the beginning I was thinking she was been a bit overzealous and she was kind of running all over the uh, the the court, especially in defense, she was she got caught out once and left a massive gap in defense. And I thought she could be a bit of a liability today, but then she just got her timing completely right and was absolutely nailing some of the Viborg players. And it was just that they just looked much bigger and much better. And it was just it really wasn't a competition in the end, which was a disappointment after three other really good games at the at the HF finals. But they were just uh, completely superior, and there wasn't much. Much of a game in the end. What else can you say Quite about surprising, it? Quite surprising, huh? A bit, yeah, I think it was a bit surprising because the other games were so close. Um, but I've, you'd rarely see a team in terms of being fired up so, so outmatching the other team. And it, it could just really, you could just, it was coming off the screen at you when you were watching it. And it was a perfect season for beating time as well. That was their 50th win this season and their first ever European trophy. So quite exciting times for them as a club. It won the German league, right? So they're going to be in the Champions League next season. And their coach, Marcus Gaugisch, has just taken over the Germany national team job. 
So uh, <laughs> what a what a few months for him. Yeah, nice bit of continuation there. Hopefully, yeah. and, and who decided to have the final in Vibor? I raise this because uh, I don't know if you know this, but Vibor is the butt of a lot of jokes here in Denmark. It's pretty much seen as the worst town in Denmark. And there's actually a drinking game or a uh, a dice game that you play while drinking. Which we played last week. That, that we played last week called Snill. And out of that, if you lose a round, you have to go to Vibor. Because that is the worst thing that could happen to you. And then if you lose a round again, you come back from Vibor and you have to buy a shot or a round of shots for the table because you've had such a great time in Vibor. So um, I'm glad Vibor is getting on the European handball map, at least <laughs> in the final side. Yeah, because I mean, when you, when you think about it on the men's side, they're going to Lisbon and you're thinking that's an incredible place for a finalist to take place. I would absolutely love to go there. And God bless the people who went to Vibor for the weekend just to cover that uh, Cover that finals, but uh, all right, okay. Yeah. Well, look, like, <laughs> Vborg are three-time Champions League winners. We have to start putting some respect on that name. <laughs> no, no, no. Vborg, the handball team, are are incredible. You know, they, they they've had a long history. But I'm talking about the town here, not not the handball club. <laughs> Alex is just talking about the residents in the town that's all just the people who live there and reside there not the actual professional athletes that's all we're talking about I feel like I want to visit Viborg now it's like yeah. they're so good at handball because they can't do anything in Viborg except just train all the day, all the time so that's why they're so good it makes a lot of sense to me congratulations big time anyway so there you go we'll uh, bring that section to a close yeah just before we wrap up then for today uh, it would be Remiss of us not to mention that uh, Bengt Bengt Johansson passed away last week. Bengt Johansson is undoubtedly one of the most successful coaches in history and uh, revolutionized handball in its early modern times in the 90s and early 2000s. He was the coach of the Swedish national team that uh, was fondly known as the Bengen boys. I think that says a lot about the his impact that this generation-defining team was named after him. Uh, they won four EHF Euro titles, two World Championship titles, and three Olympic silvers in kind of the most heartbreaking aspect of all of this for the Swedish national team and that group of players that they, they lost the final of the Olympics three times. But uh, regardless, an amazing coach and also it's seemingly like uh just an amazing handball person as well and uh i just want to mention nice anecdote that a former guest and friend of the podcast type ramadani uh, shared who as you all know if you listen to the podcast we had with him uh, had some amazing stories about the australian national team going to the sydney 2000 games and bank johansson volunteered his time to help the Australian team leading into the 1999 World Championship and the Sydney Olympic Games while coaching the Swedish national team. Type said, Bengt was a beautiful and generous man. He had been traveling to Australia often and would also arrange for us to train in Sweden. He once hosted us at his home for lunch and made sure we had everything we needed for the training camps. At the 1999 World Championship in Egypt, we were facing his Sweden team for the first time in an official competition. Before the match, he came to our hotel to warn us that the Swedish boys were especially motivated to thrash us. B 
because they'd been so jealous of the time he'd been spending in Australia. <laughs> and they did just that. They absolutely smacked them uh, and ended up winning the world championship that time. Yeah, I think that's just a really, uh, really nice story. There's been a lot of stuff shared about Bengt uh, around the, the last week or so. But particularly in, in fitting with this podcast and the, the kind of community we have listening to it, I think that's a, a very fitting story to share. A sad story, uh, but in the last week, it's very much been a celebration, I think, of his life. And on that, we'll wrap it up for today. Short and sweet one. Everyone enjoy the second leg of the quarterfinals and we'll be back wrapping that up and looking forward to uh, some of the other big titles on the line in the coming weeks as the season comes to an end. Goodbye. Goodbye.